Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, and don't reproach her. And also, pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. The word of the Lord. Please stand, please remain standing as we pray. Father in heaven, we come before you right now um, saying that we believe you, uh, which is to say not merely that we give theoretical mental assent to some things that happened a long time ago, but rather we are saying that we trust you, 
And for some of us, that's aspirational. We want to trust you. And uh, I thank you that in your mercy, you, you honor that. And so I pray, Father, uh, that you will restrain the world and the flesh and the devil and, and that you will uh, work within us to give us a trust, a faith, a belief that we cannot generate ourselves and that you will grant us to see you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, friends, please, uh, please sit down. And on uh, page 7 and 8, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, the book of Ruth. It's our custom to, uh, generally speaking, uh, pick a book of the Bible and then read through it consecutively and, um, and each week try to draw out from it what God is speaking to us uh, in, uh, in, that, in that passage. And that's, that's what we're going to do today. Um, and so in Ruth chapter 2, I'm going to ask this question. I'm going to ask the question and then I unpack what it is that I mean. And here's the question. Uh, how do you see God's loving kindness in the midst of the bitter land? Uh, let me explain the question and, and, and why I use those words. So we're continuing, as I just said, in the uh, book of Ruth. Um, the book of Ruth is a, is, is a strange little book in the Old Testament. It's a strange little story about two immigrant women uh, with next to no rights within either of their countries, really, uh, and a Bronze Age barley farmer. It's a little tiny story, and yet uh, as little and humble as this story appears on the outside, it's a story that showcases the goodness and the loving kindness of God in the midst of terrible circumstances. Now, if you were with us two weeks ago, you know what I'm talking about. Um, we talked about uh, Naomi, this woman whose life had fallen apart. Remember that? Were you here? Maybe you weren't. Well, here's a review. Um, she's living in a time in ancient Israel when uh, the political situation and the religious situation was terrible because there were terrible political leaders and terrible religious leaders, and everybody was pretty much spectacularly corrupt at the leadership level. Uh, but in, within that context, uh, she and her family experienced a terrible famine, and uh, she and her husband uh, immigrate to the country of Moab, which was not uh, particularly a friendly country to them. Uh, nevertheless, uh, there, uh, her two sons grew up, they got married, but then Naomi's husband died, and then both her sons died. And at the end of chapter 1, she's left destitute. She's got uh, Ruth, who is her daughter-in-law, stays with her, but... She's living in the bitter land. And I call it the bitter land because that's a word she brings in. Uh, she's her, she changes her name. She says, uh, my name used to be Naomi, which means pleasant. But that doesn't capture who I am anymore. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. So she's living in the bitter land. And, and I don't think it takes too much imagination for many of us to identify with Naomi, does it? And if you can identify, and if you know something instinctively of what the bitter land is, then you'll know why I asked the question, how do you see God's loving kindness in that place? Because I think it's the unspoken cry of Naomi's heart, and maybe it is yours. And I asked that question for another reason, too, because if you look at the end of the reading, something shifts in Naomi. Do you notice that? Look at verse 20. 
Verse 20, she praises the Lord. So she's speaking about a guy called Boaz, who's a barley farmer. We'll talk about him in a second. But she says this. She says, may Boaz be blessed by the Lord. And then speaking about the Lord, whose kindness is not forsaken, either the living or the dead. Now, uh, look with me there and notice the word kindness. Uh, that word, you know, kindness in English, the word in kindness, it's like a, it feels like a little word to me. It feels like a little bit nicer than polite. Okay, please delete that from your mind when it comes to the book of Ruth, because the Hebrew word is hesed. Uh, and hesed, the only reason I say what the Hebrew word is, and I don't, is because um, that word uh, is like too big to fit into any English word. Um, to understand the Hebrew word hesed, what is translated kindness here, you'd have to take uh, what comes to your mind when you think about God's love and God's kindness and God's grace and God's mercy and God's compassion and God's generosity and all of God's moral beauty. And if you could take all of that and then compress it into one word, you'd have hesed. Well, I can't quite do that, so I'm going to call it loving kindness. Everybody say loving kindness. That's what the King James called it, and I think it's pretty good. And Naomi, understandably, has lost all sight of God's hesed, God's loving kindness. She can't see it as she's walking through her bitter land. Except now she sees it. God's loving kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. And I want to know how. How does she see God's loving kindness in the midst of her bitter land? Well, here's the basic answer. Naomi sees the loving kindness displayed in the loving kindness that emerges from an immigrant woman and a Bronze Age barley farmer. It's amazing. She couldn't see God's loving kindness directly, but she could see it in her daughter-in-law called Ruth, and we're going to see that. And she couldn't see God's loving kindness directly, but she was able to see it. It became visible in Boaz. And because of their reflecting of God's loving kindness into the midst of her bitter land, she's able to see God. Emmanuel, that's a powerful thing. Don't ever underestimate the cosmic significance of ordinary holiness. Well, that's what I want to show you. So, God displays his loving kindness to the world reflected in the loving kindness of his people. And that's true in the bitter land, and it may well be particularly true in the bitter land. And one of the things that that means is that it calls Emmanuel, as we walk through difficulty, to be a community and a culture that is so internalized, God's hesed, God's loving kindness to us, that it begins to emerge from us, maybe in ways we're not even aware of. We begin to lose and forget ourselves in the midst of the ways we serve one another and love one another in our, in our costly kindness to one another. Through that network of loving one another well, other people who could not see God otherwise will see him. All right. To show you what I mean, I want you to look into this uh, story and begin by uh, looking from the vantage point of Boaz. So, Boaz. Boaz is an Israelite Bronze Age barley farmer. 
and he's really, really busy because in the story, it's barley season, which we call March and April. And uh, he comes out into his field one day, and he notices somebody in his field that he doesn't recognize. And so he talks to his foreman in verse 5, and he says this, Whose young woman is this? Which is a funny way to ask a question, isn't it? But um, the reason he asks the question just in that way is that in this context, identity is tied to community, which helps explain why the foreman front-foots her ethnic identity. Um, he says, uh, verse 6, the foreman says, She is the young Moabite woman. Now, pause there and you got to feel the ethnic tension because Moab and Israel they weren't buddies and so right at this moment uh, Boaz could have uh, you know hit the hit the stop button and said uh, there's an enemy in my field but he doesn't the foreman goes on and he says she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab and then verse 7 she, uh, the foreman says this she said please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers now uh, pause there for a quick background gleaning everybody say gleaning gleaning uh, was uh, part of how ancient Israel cared for the poor so in the uh, law of the Lord in ancient Israel, so uh, what we call the Torah, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, uh, there were laws that regulated how uh, farmers harvested. And farmers were required to allow the poor to accompany harvesters in the harvesting and to pick up what the harvest, harvesters dropped or left behind or failed to, uh, to harvest. Um, so they were kind of to, allowed to pick up the scraps. So Leviticus uh, chapter 23 says this, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after you harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. Very importantly, he says, concludes with, I am the Lord your God. And it, it's a little bit like, I mean this. And this is a policy that reflects the character of God. So, the law of the Lord uh, regulated the economy to ensure that the poor were cared for. So, here's Ruth. Clearly, she knows something about the law of the Lord, and so she resolves at the beginning of the story, and she says, basically, I'm going to avail myself of this law that the Lord has instituted in Israel. I'm going to go. I'm going to ask to glean, and I'm going to work my tail off, and I'm going to work my tail off and serve for the benefit of my destitute mother-in-law. That's Ruth's plan. Boaz hears about all this, and he recognizes that there's a Moabite taking refuge in the law of the Lord of Israel, and that starts to get his attention. But he notices more. Because Ruth does not need to be in Israel. She is not there against her will. And Boaz knows this. Somehow the word had spread about the story of Naomi and Ruth and how Ruth volunteered to come back to Israel with Naomi. Boaz knows that Ruth is not obligated, was not obligated to leave her homeland. She, should, she could have gone back to her family, back to her home. She could have stayed at home, but she didn't. She wasn't obligated, but she volunteered to go with her mother-in-law and to walk into almost certain destitution. Boaz knows that. Voluntary serving of others at great cost and risk to one's own life. And the risk to Ruth's life was very visceral. Uh, there was great risk of assault. Naomi is worried about this. You can see it in verse 22. Boaz is aware of this. You can see that in verse 9. 
Boaz knows all of this. But here's something that I find odd. As Boaz looks at Ruth, you get the sense that he is deeply honored and not burdened that she should choose to glean in his field. And you get the sense that Boaz is honored even to be in Ruth's presence. It's not that Boaz tolerates Ruth. It's that he admires her. Why? Why? Why would an Israelite farmer with means and status admire a Moabite woman who's asking him for help because she's basically destitute? Why? Here's why. Boaz sees more than a foreigner. He sees more than a destitute person. Boaz sees someone who is reflecting the Lord's character and exhibiting the faith of Abraham. Here's what I mean. Look at verse 11. Boaz says, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. Now, uh, Boaz does not use the word hesed or loving kindness in that phrase, but next chapter he'll refer to this with that phrase, with that word, hesed. So the point is that Boaz says, sees that Ruth's sacrificial service for Naomi is a live-action display of God's hesed love and loving kindness. The point is, Ruth, the Moabite, is acting like the Lord of Israel, at least in a little way. Because she serves the needy, not out of obligation, but out of the overflow of grace and love. And that's the way the Lord serves his people. You see, Boaz honors Ruth because there's a way in which Ruth is reflecting the divine character. And not only that, he also sees within her the faith of Abraham. Look at verse 11. Do you see where Boaz uh, mentions how you left your father and mother and your native land and went to a new land? Do you know what that's quoting? It's al- not quite quoting. It's almost quoting uh, Genesis chapter 12. Why is that important? Because it's when God calls Abraham. Calls Abraham to leave his father and mother and his family and to leave his country and go to a new country and to trust the Lord in the midst of it. That was the faith of Abraham. And through that faith, God brought forth through Abraham all the nation of Israel. So think about what that means for Boaz. Boaz is looking at Ruth and he sees that she might be a Moabite, but that she bears the faith of Abraham and she's reflecting the character of Boaz's Lord. Which is to say, Boaz knows he's in the presence of holiness. I kind of love the way the Lord inverts the expected status. Uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, a long time later put it this way. The Lord puts down the mighty from their thrones and he exalts the humble and meek. And Boaz looks at Ruth and, and he knows the Lord's exalting the humble and meek. And the reason the Lord is exalting the humble and meek, according to Boaz, is verse 12 Because Ruth is taking refuge under the wings of the Lord. Say, the wings of the Lord. I love that image because it's an image of the Lord as a a mother bird who protects her young with her own wings, who protects her young with her own body. It's an image of loving kindness. And Boaz can see that Ruth is entrusting herself to that loving kindness, and he can see that the Lord's loving kindness is now shining out through Ruth. And yet I think there's more, because Boaz can see the loving kindness of the Lord through Ruth in the midst of his own bitter land. 
Now, Ruth, or Boaz's bitter land was not nearly as catastrophic as Naomi's, but remember the time in which this is happening. This is happening in the time of the judges, which was a historical season in which the leaders of Israel, the political leaders and the religious leaders were spectacular train wrecks, and they were constantly throwing the whole nation under the bus. The corruption of the leaders of Israel dominated the story, in, or the national story, in which Boaz was living at this time. And if you don't believe me, go read the book of Judges. It's all there. And when you're living in that time, it's hard to trust God's leaders, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard to trust and see God's loving kindness when those who should represent him well don't. But with that in mind, consider how the kindness of God to Boaz. Ruth may be a Moabite, but she is fulfilling Israel's mission better than just about anybody else. And God shows his loving kindness. This is the real thing, Boaz. This is what it's supposed to look like. This is what the people of God are supposed to look like. And God shows what his loving kindness looks like to Boaz through Ruth, right in the midst of the bitter land of Israel's national corruption. I think you can see its application, can't you? Because there's a lot of disillusionment with the leaders of the church and that for all kinds of good reasons. But don't forget that God's leaders have failed him many times, but God doesn't fail his people. And God wants to display his loving kindness. God is always the main character in the story of his church. And the Lord wants to display his loving kindness, not just through the leaders, important as that is, but he wants to display his loving kindness through the very small, apparently small, but cosmically giant holiness of his people. So Boaz sees God's hesed in Ruth. But keep going. Because Ruth's display of loving kindness triggers a response in Boaz. One of the things that's really clear in this story is that uh, Ruth feels the status gap between her and Boaz. Uh, Boaz is a really high-status guy. Uh, verse 1 says he's a worthy man. We'll talk about that later in the series. But F Ruth feels the fact that she's a foreigner and that she has no power at all. And yet, she doesn't experience Boaz in the end as a man who's trying to leverage his power. It's the opposite. Boaz sees Ruth reflecting God's loving kindness to him, or, or actually to Naomi, and it triggers within him a response of loving kindness to her. Uh, there's like a chain reaction here. It's beautiful. And notice three ways that Boaz shows Ruth loving kindness. Boaz gives Ruth dignity and security and abundance. Dignity. We've already seen that Boaz honors Ruth as a true daughter of Abraham. And Boaz knows that God doesn't care about the social gap between the two of them. God doesn't honor status. He honors character. And so Boaz reflects that dignity to Ruth. But Boaz goes beyond that, and, and he gives security to her. He, he asks her to stay in his field day after day, week after week, through the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, which at least leads to about June, and he says during that time, he's instituting safeguarding policies to make sure she is not assaulted. Dignity and security and abundance. 
See, the law of the Lord required Boaz to let her glean. But the Hesed love of God within Boaz causes him not only to want to obey the law of the Lord. Friends, when the loving kindness of God is operating within your heart, you will treasure the word of God. He treasures the word of God, but he doesn't want to just obey its minimum. He doesn't want to just go one mile. He wants to, just like Jesus says, go two miles. He wants to go beyond it. Not beyond the law, but beyond its minimum. And so he doesn't just let her glean and pick up the scraps. He gives her water. And then he gives her lunch. And then he instructs his men to make sure she goes home full of grain. And at the end of the day, she's carrying home something between 30 and 50 pounds of grain. You're supposed to watch her stumbling home. And that cost Boaz economically. He wasn't messing around. He was there for harvesting. There's a lot of money that Boaz could have held on to had he just let her pick up the scraps. But he loved the law of the Lord and went beyond it, beyond at least its minimum, to pursue its spirit. Ruth had reflected God's loving kindness to him, and now he reflects God's loving kindness by obeying God's commands despite the cost. This, Emmanuel, is how it's supposed to work. Emmanuel, we are to be a church that reflects God's loving kindness to each other. And then as we see loving kindness within one another, it's supposed to renew and trigger within us a desire to display loving kindness ourselves, to obey the word of the Lord, not at its minimum, but at its maximum, not out of duty, but out of joy, not because we must, but because it is our high privilege and honor. And I come back to the question I asked at the beginning. Where do we see the loving kindness of God in the midst of the bitter land? And that brings us back to Naomi. Naomi's waiting at home, waiting all day long, and she's worried. She's worried, verse 22, about assault. She's lost everything. She's lost everybody. She doesn't want to lose Ruth, too. And then Ruth comes home. 40 pounds and leftover lunch. And she sees something. And it's not just the grain. She hears about Boaz. And just as Boaz saw God's loving kindness reflected through Ruth, now Naomi sees God's loving kindness reflected through Boaz. And this is huge because remember she couldn't see God's loving kindness before this. She couldn't see God's loving kindness in the midst of her bitter land. And the thing that got through to her the thing that made God's loving kindness visible to her in the midst of her bitter land was the loving kindness of Boaz and Ruth. And I suspect it began when Ruth decided to serve her sacrificially, not because she was obligated, but because she volunteered for it. But then the picture got so much clearer when she heard of Boaz's generosity and protection and humility. And there's some other things that we're going to find out in the chapters to come. But Naomi had to see all that loving kindness in action through saints in flesh and blood. And that's how God told her that she wasn't alone and that God had not given up on her. So can you see what this teaches us, Emmanuel? Because many of us are in the bitter land, and if you're not now, you will. And there's all kinds of reasons. There's grief, and there's loss, and there's uncertainty, and there's disillusionment, and there's questions. 
I don't know which one describes you. But God does not abandon us in the bitter land, Emmanuel. You can take that to eternity. Now, he may be hard to see, but he hasn't gone. He was there in a Bronze Age barley field. And we're going to find out that that Bronze Age barley field interaction changed the course of history and of your eternity. And he wants to shine his loving kindness through us, through our love and our care and our mercy and our faithfulness and the ordinary but in, incandescently beautiful transformed character of the people of God. So never underestimate the cosmic and eternal significance of your ordinary holiness, Emmanuel. But here's the thing. Just like Boaz and Naomi, you've got to see God's loving kindness in someone else before you can exhibit it yourself. You don't drum up loving kindness. You don't grit your teeth and say, let me try hard now and I'll start loving like God does. That doesn't work. You can try it. It'll last about 15 minutes. And this is one of the reasons why God became human in the person of Jesus Christ. Because Ruth had a distant grandson who was a lot like her and better in every way. And Jesus displayed God's loving kindness to you. And if I could, if I could put your individual name there, I would. Jesus displayed God's loving kindness to you in the midst of his bitter land. And his bitter land was deep in, deeper even than yours. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is the sound of someone who, not because he must, but because he volunteered to take your place and to go into the bitter land beyond your imagining so that you can receive his reward beyond your desire. And there... God's loving kindness shined perfectly through him. And just like his grandma Ruth, Jesus was serving sacrificially not because he was obligated to, he wasn't obligated to, but because he loves you. And just like Boaz, Jesus' suffering ensured that could, we could receive a dignity and a security and an abundance that we could never gain any other way. So Emmanuel, look at Jesus in the midst of the bitter land because God has gone there and he's gone deeper than you. And if you see Jesus Christ, you see the human being uniquely designed, uniquely incarnate to display before you loving kindness that will never end. So fix your eyes on him. Fix your eyes on him, and as you look away from yourself into him, and as you look away from the darkness and look to him, you will find within yourself his own love reflecting out from you, and you will want to, you will aspire to love like you have been loved, and you will want and aspire to obey the word of God, not because you must, but because it is your high honor, and people will look at you, and they will see something of God himself. And they will say, surely there is a God who can meet me in the midst of the bitter land. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.